0: The NBA Draft is just a day away. Welcome back into the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm Matt Norlander. If you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to engage with us. Shoot us some comments, some questions. Uh, joining me on this special episode, we do this every year, a big mock episode. We've got KB, our lead NBA draft expert at CBSports.com, And Adam Finkelstein, the International Executive Director of all things scouting for 247 Sports. I don't know if that's the technical title, um, but he is here as well. We're going to get into uh, a lot of first-round discussion and some of our second-round guys that uh, we think are good sleepers. Um, shouts to Gary Parish, of course. Uh, he's doing a few things on the home front, uh, a, a personal matter. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, you are aware of uh, of the update he provided. He is fine. Uh, no no reason to worry on that end. But, uh, but if you have not checked please be sure to go out uh, and check his feed and he will be back on the show very soon and, uh, and can explain stuff from his side of things, but he's doing uh, relatively well. All things are well with him, but he is going through a personal matter. That's why he's missed a couple of shows. And since he has publicly announced why that happened, I figured I at least wanted to address that. um, And we can get into that more on, uh, on the next episode. Love you, GP. Love you, GP. Let's talk to NBA draft here. So on, on Tuesday night, Boone, Adam and I went on CBS sports HQ and we did a, a, what I thought was going to be an hour long special. It's actually like an 85 minute special a mock draft situation. So what we are going to do on this show, as opposed to like me making a pick, Boone making a pick, Adam making a pick, which is what we did on HQ. We are going to read off the mock draft we did on Tuesday and talk about these players and talk about whether we would agree if these players should, are going to go here. Cause we're trying to predict team behavior, personal disagreements with all that. So, with every single pick with every player i'm going to announce where we had this player going and then the guys will tee up and give us uh and give us their opinions this is going to be if you're looking for a cram session on the draft for thursday this is absolutely the episode for you, and uh, we'll have some bonus goodies on the end with second round sleepers and all that good stuff here. So obviously, San Antonio is at one. It's going to take Victor Wembanyama. Uh, we might as well spend one more moment talking about him uh, here. This is this. You know, there is no there is no doubt to this. It is an inevitability. But we are at now, uh, Adam. We're at the the final stage here, where uh, he is not a member of an actual NBA franchise, and and from here on out, I guess the hype only increases. So. On that front, uh, you know, I guess it's only fair to at least ask you if we have, if the collective evaluation, NBA community, the media, everyone, right? Have we actually set the bar too high for Wembenyama? Because it ha- it does feel like it has reached a level that, in my lifetime, I do remember LeBron being at this level, but I don't remember any NFL player being this hyped. And there have been some big time hype number one picks. I don't remember anyone reaching that. Um, I don't want to ask if we're setting him up to fail because I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but um, uh, are people that are hearing all this Wemby mania stuff, are, are they going to be potentially like a little like this was what this guy was all about by the end of his rookie year or his second year? Or is there a real potential in your eyes that he could become, you know, top 15 player in the league by the end of his second season?
2: So it, it's all about the durability, and um, <clears throat> you know what I'll say is this: is that the only thing that is as big as his listed height and his wingspan is the amount of hyperbole that that the media has used uh, leading up to to this draft. I mean, we're calling him seven foot four when he stands next to Rudy Gobert. It's pretty clear he's bigger than seven foot four. So I'm gonna go seven. I'm gonna go seven five. Uh, reported eight foot wingspan, but I would love to see the tape measure that measured that. Um doing things offensively that we just haven't seen before, like one foot one footed three pointers. Um, his dominance in the defensive end of the floor is is just unmatched because he can move at that size too. But um, the the word I like to use here, I, I think it's the most accurate word, is unprecedented. He is an unprecedented prospect. We've never seen the overlap of size, length, defensive dominance, offensive skill, mobility, and athleticism. We've also never seen someone this size, um, period. So we don't know how he's going to hold up physically, and that's the biggest question. So I, I, I think I'm I'm just going to continue to say unprecedented because uh, best prospect we, we've ever seen. The first person I heard to use that that title was Mike Schmitz when he was still at ESPN. He's now the assistant GM at Portland Trailblazers. I have an immense amount of respect for Mike Schmitz. Mike Schmitz. Um, uh, so yeah, I think when when you can check all those boxes and it's totally unique, best prospect of it, sure, I'll go with that. But not a sure thing. No prospect is a sure thing. And I think that's the point that that we've got to really get across here is that nobody is a is a sure thing. but best prospect in a decade, like I'm not gonna fight you on that.
0: Uh, Kyle, you have covered Wemby4.com for, for well over a year. You are our resident Wemby expert. Uh, put a bow on uh, on everything that has led up to this point and what your expectations are. We'll keep it in the same framework here you know for his rookie season and maybe even even year two when uh, when he will have uh, a, t- a ton of eyes on him on a practically on a nightly basis.
1: Yeah, expectations are obviously very high. He's long been considered the number one pick, even going back a year, maybe longer. Um, <clears throat> he made the switch to play with Mets 92 this past year, basically on a schedule where he plays once a week for the most part. I mean, it, it changed a little bit during the playoffs and kind of the post season where they played a little bit more frequently, but it was a strategic move, I think by him and by his, his team to develop slowly. They wanted to give his body time to develop. He's still just a teenager and Last time we talked on this podcast in Orlando, he was seven foot five hearing reports now he could actually be back up to seven foot six Ah seven, that's not seven foot seven seven eight he's creeping he's up tall. there
0: I know he's he's tall. Tall. there's a picture of him out there from FIBA Americas and he's standing next to Edie and <laughs> even though he's got the frizzy hair, he looks like he clears Edie by two inches in that picture and Edie's a humongous human being, so I hear you. he is yeah,
1: he is um, Mostly joking there, but you know, around seven foot five, um, eight foot wingspan. I mean, this is a guy who like is doing pregame workouts that includes like bear crawls on his fingertips and his toes. He does like big toe workouts, and so I think he's had a good staff and team around him that have prepared him for making this leap from from Mets ninety two and playing in Pro A, which is the best professional league in France. To the NBA, there is going to be an adjustment, though. I, I think people should maybe try and curtail some expectations if you possibly can. Yeah. Um, I still think he's going to be the best rookie next season, but you know, do you think, I think he's going to scur- win Rookie of the Year? I got to jump in. Yeah. Right. Don't you yeah. have to play sixty-five games to win Rookie of
2: the Year? He's he's going to the Spurs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My bet. My bet would be Scoot there. I, I think Scoot Ooh, is nice. is good value. You get some plus value. Scoot to win Rookie of the Year um he's someone who i think his game is going to translate immediately whether it's with the hornets or the the trailblazers or somewhere else if someone tries tries to trade up um and i and i think the spurs will be very deliberate and work kind of hand in hand with women on his development i think women is going to push to play every single game next season and i think the spurs will say hey look we're not a very good team right now we want to bring you along we don't want to we don't want to rush this thing and so that's going to be kind of an interesting tug and pull. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think, you know, in a few years, as his body continues to develop and mature and grow, he is an elite defensive prospect. He's not just a, a, a shot blocker, you know, kind of on the interior in the same way like Rudy Gobert is. Like this dude is blocking shots from three-point range, from the elbow, like his length is, is absurd, And, um, so I've never seen anyone, you know, with, with that type of defensive range. And I think that makes him such a unique defensive prospect. And when you watch him on offense, uh, yeah, I I asked the scout, like, how do you, how do you compare him? I'm like, yeah, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Chet Holmgren. He's like, nah, like he's kind he has some Chet to his game, but like, he's a mix of Rudy Gobert. He's a mix of Kevin Durant. He's a mix of like a number of different players and you're like ringing off all-star, like future Hall of Fame type prospects. So I'm adding to the hyperbole here right now. I can tell that Adam Finkelstein's given me the sly grin, like mm-hmm. shut your mouth, shut your mouth. But um, but yeah, like the, the expectations are high. I think it's fair to have high expectations. He's someone, you know, as as Finkelstein alluded to, like he's an unprecedented prospect. We've never seen anything uh, quite like Victor womenyama
0: yeah there are still i've been hearing from a couple n b a folks in the past couple of weeks uh still some you know i want to see how that body holds up just want to see, you know I don't want to look up in three years and 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 see that he has only played fifty three percent of his allotted games and he's just having issues so I just want to put that out there on the record before he gets drafted. I don't want that to happen, but there is some i would say. The concern about that is a tad more prominent, maybe behind the scenes, as we than what we are seeing discussed publicly. But maybe that changes like the second he gets drafted, and you know they don't think he's going to play summer league, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see. Wemby's going to go number one. He's the biggest story in this draft. This is the Wemby draft, and then everything else is a backdrop. Although, let's move on here. Charlotte at two, Portland at three. On our mock draft special, we had Miller going to Charlotte, Scoot going to Portland. Let's combo these, uh, because there's two different discussions to be had And Boone. I'll tee you up first. Uh, I think Scoot Henderson will be the better NBA player, but from a fit standpoint, given that Charlotte has LaMelo ball, if it thinks that Lamella ball is going to be the guy that's going to run that offense for, you know, another five to eight to 10 years, and you think you're going to have a little too much overlap with Scoot, um, Brandon Miller, a complimentary player on the wing whose evaluation might be side by side could be the pick there, um, Boone, who is Charlotte going to take in your opinion and who do you think will be the better player?
1: Yeah, a lot of things are happening. Things are happening very quickly. Um, When the Charlotte Hornets got the number two pick, the immediate kind of reaction was that it it was most likely going to be Brandon Miller. He was the betting favorite to go number two. That has changed in recent days. Uh, Scoot Henderson jumped up as the betting favorite by a wide margin to go number two and now <laughs> the last 24 hours we're flip-flopping again baby brandon miller year, now by the way this happened with the yes. number one
0: pick a little later but there was there's a lot of this nonsense noise happening last year as well but yes to your point yes. now scoot is now the favorite again after there was a uh, you know a brief little period there where scoot was the favorite continue kb
1: yes yes so now it has flipped again brandon miller um, there's reporting out this week from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that, that kind of suggests that that Charlotte really likes Brandon Miller, and it seems to be that Miller is maybe the preferred pick here. The betting markets certainly reflect that. Brandon Miller is now, again, the betting favorite to go number two to the Shard of the Hornets. I don't think it's necessarily a mistake. I think Scoot Henderson is a better prospect than Brandon Miller, and I, and I wouldn't worry so much about – you know how to Scoot fit with Lamelo Ball. I think Scoot is a great prospect who could play on and off the ball. His his shooting development, I think, has shown some real promise. Lamelo can obviously play off the ball. He's a really good three point shooter, um, and so I, I think you look to the Oklahoma City Thunder, like they play multiple guards: Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Josh Giddy, no problem. In fact, I think that is kind of the model uh, for future success in the NBA. You can't have enough smart, connective pieces who are good playmakers can shoot it can do a lot of different things can play multiple positions in the backcourt so you know i think i think it would uh if i'm the hornets picking at number two i would take scoot henderson i totally understand why charlotte will or is at least expected to take brandon miller at number two, he's six foot nine. He shoots 39% from three-point range. He's his own kind of offensive weapon, can create off the dribble a little bit, can can be a flashy kind of scoring wing at the next level and fits obviously next to Lamella Ball at, at a level that I think makes sense. Um, I, I think if Charlotte has conviction and feels like Brandon Miller is a better prospect than Scoot Henderson, then fine. I have no problem with them taking brandon miller over scoot henderson at number two my my issue would be they think that brandon miller is a better fit but not a better prospect than scoot henderson and they just take the better fit at number two and take brandon miller that's where you get into some issues but if if they end up taking brandon miller and feel like he is the better prospect and the better fit uh you get a little two for there I, I think you can build around kind of a lamello ball brandon, a brandon miller kind of one two combo um Either way, I, I think it's it's exciting. I think, I think I would prefer Scoot, obviously, but end up going Brandon Miller. I can't uh, totally fault them for that either.
0: Adam, go ahead. Hop in here. What are your thoughts on this debate for 2-3 and how it's kind of evolved and changed over the past week?
2: So I think that... Um... I think that you can make an argument for either player being the best prospect. Um, I think that one of the things that what's that called, like hot takes exposed when they like, you know, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Gonna get me, I got to do the grades this year. So they're going to get me undoubtedly, but that's, that's what
0: yeah. part of the game, Yeah. That, that is, by the way, that is, that is a product update there. Finkelstein and I will be on the CBS sports HQ draft show. On Thursday night and Adam will be dishing out the grades I need a vow and promise on this podcast right now that you will deliver at least at least two C's I can't can't. no such promise
2: granted oh my god Um, so here's what I would say though I I think that the the longer I've been doing this the more like I'm hedging my bets and not because I, I know that's like bad media but it's also reflective of like what really happens behind closed doors in NBA, you know, in, in, with NBA decision makers is I don't think there's a consensus about who's going to be the better prospect long term. Um, so I'm open to I'm open to either um, either on that. If, if you like Scoop because of the athleticism, because of the, the playmaking, the mindset. Um, the creativity, great. If you like Brandon Miller because of the overlap of, of size and skill and shot making and some subtle passing, great. If you're concerned concerned about Scoot's um, his shooting and his uh, defensive inconsistencies, I get it. If you're concerned about Brandon Miller's rim finishing and you know the the lack of strength at a fairly advanced age for a college freshman, I get it. Um, wh- what I think the to me, this is about process. So I don't really care who Charlotte takes with that pick, but I think the way they go about making that pick is really important. So, for example, five years from now, if if it turns out that Scoot becomes a much better player than Brandon Miller, uh, the fact that they had LaMelo Ball is not going to be an acceptable justification for saying, well, we had to take Brandon because we already had LaMelo. That, that's not going to cut it five years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that won't cut it will be um, – well, we brought them both back in for a for a secondary workout, and Brandon looked better in one on O than Scoot did. Like, so that's that's nonsense as well. And that that's what that's what happened. You know, I mean they brought Scoot the first the first round of workouts, they came in and, and Scoot looked really good. Scoot's gonna look better because Brandon's just getting over mono. He was already lean, he lost a bunch of weight in mono when he had mono and he didn't go through the normal pre-draft process. Scoot's gonna look better. Uh to me. I think if I were Charlotte, what I would be digging into here is all the stuff around. I know this is a sensitive, sensitive subject, but all the stuff around Brandon Miller, what happened off the floor at Alabama, how reliable he is, because some of the intel about his interviews has not been um, has not been great. And I think his his team and his his agent and stuff like that have worked really hard on the PR front, rightfully so. That's their job to make sure it is represented in a positive way in the media. But when you talk to NBA sources who've been in the room with them, um, and not specific to that, that incident this year, but just in general, some of the takeaways have, have not been overwhelming. So I, I think Scoop probably interviews better than Brandon does as well. Um, quite, quite frankly, with Miles Bridges coming back, this is the other thing that like, people don't want to talk about, but I think it's got to be a real concern for Charlotte. Like, Are we concerned about Miles Bridges, given, given his off-the-court issues, and, and Brandon Miller? Like, Is that the type of support system we want around him? Uh, those guys would be sharing not only a lot of time on the floor, but spending presumably a decent amount of time together off the floor. So I think these issues are all relevant, have to be part of the decision-making process. It sounds like they're doing their due diligence. They sent people down to Tuscaloosa to, to really um, dig into to Brandon's year and, and what happened down there. But So again, this to me is about process. I'm okay with either guy. I think you can make a justification for either either player being the better long-term prospect. But this should not be a, a pick based on fit or based on a one on a workout.
0: Looks like it's going to be Miller. Uh, I don't put out the question that it could be to wind up being Scoot when we actually get to that moment. We will wait and see. Uh, as a few people have told me this week, the draft starts at number 4 because we know players 1, 2, and 3, maybe a little bit of debate between 2 and 3. So we will get to the rest of our mock draft right after this. Nada, do your thing. A word from our sponsors right now. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSC. By the way, we've got a producer who has an emotionally vested interest in the team picking second, but I was asked not to tee him up for thoughts on that. So for our dedicated listenership, who are hoping to hear from one Kanata Edwards on Charlotte, that we'll have to wait until the end of this episode, apparently at the earliest Houston has the fourth pick. And in our mock draft, Amen Thompson from overtime elite went there. Um, for those, and I think this is a lot of folks. Now, the die-hard sect that is dedicated to following the draft is is certainly up to date on Amen Thompson. He has been talked about him and his brother. We'll get to Osar in just a second on this on this show in general in the lead up to the draft. But Adam, in a nutshell, who is Amen Thompson, and we've got him going forward to Houston. Is that actually? Do you think that is a proper? cultural fit and positional fit, considering the roster they already have there and where Houston kind of sits in the lower, lower end of the NBA hierarchy right now.
2: I think it's accurate based on the Intel we have at the moment. Um, the, the, the assumption is that they're debating between Amen and and Cam Whitmore. Primarily we're starting to hear they may favor um, a men. There's really no reason for them to, to put out misinformation because we know the first three players uh, who are going to be taken in this draft, regardless of ho- who goes two and three. Um, so now who is Amen Thompson? Amen Thompson is an elite, elite athlete. Uh, I'll keep saying it, top one percent of the NBA as soon as he gets in the league. Um he's he is he has the body type of a wing, six foot six, six foot seven, six eleven wingspan. Um I think he's like two hundred and eleven pounds and and Boone, correct me if I'm wrong with any of those measurements, but uh, elite athlete. The thing is, he's a total non-shooter, like total non-shooter. He doesn't shoot at all. Um, and there's there's it, it, Boone did a great piece on that, uh, on, on some of the mechanical issues. Can he develop it down the road? We'll see. But because he's such a non-shooter, he kind of needs to have the ball in his hands. Now, he shows a lot of playmaking potential. I mean, like John Wall-type speed, he throws some incredible passes. The interesting thing about a lot of his passes is they uh, – The majority of them are typically to his twin brother so you kind of wonder like does that translate to everybody else i think that's a semi-legit that's at least a relevant thread to pull um but you know that kind of size playmaking potential with the ball in his hands but he is um a bit of a high risk high reward prospect because we are talking about a total non-shooter who needs to make strides not even so much as like a Three point shooter, but is someone who, given his athletic gifts, if you put the ball in his hands, who every defender he faces for the foreseeable future is going to go under every single pick and roll. So he's got to be able to put like some type of, he's got to be able to make a pull up. And that's, that's not there right now.
0: Okay. At five, we've got the Detroit Pistons. We have Jarris Walker from the Cougars going there. Uh, That does actually feel like a a good fit. Uh, My read on Jarris Walker is his most likely landing spots are. Five to Detroit, seven to Indiana, nine to Utah. So five is the earliest he would be off the board here. We have him going that early. KB, quick thoughts on Jairus.
1: Yeah, at at number five to the Pistons, I think would be a fantastic fit. Uh, Pistons already have kind of their backcourt locked up. They they took Jaden Ivey last year, who I infamously had as the number one player in last year's class. Uh, They took Cade Cunningham the year prior with their number one pick. And that feels like a combo that you can build around. You add Jairus Walker to that mix, start to get some bad boy Detroit vibes. Like this is a team that could be really fun to watch a lot of enforcers, a lot of guys with a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence. Uh, Talking about like Jalen Duran, Jairus Walker, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivy, Isaiah Stewart. Like that is a fun team to watch. I think Jairus Walker... Uh, what we saw at Houston last season, kind of a combo forward can shoot the three at a pretty high level. in high school he was a he was kind of a combo like playmaking wing type of prospect and really his body has built out and and matured in a way that he kind of projects to play like a small like a like a power forward position in the NBA. but he can play like three, four five, I think, and the positional versatility that he brings, the defensive intensity that he will bring, I think is gonna be really exciting. Um, I think he should be in play here for the Pistons at number five. This feels like probably as high as he will go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I like the fit here for uh, for Jarris Walker in, in Detroit at number five.
0: I uh, I got to sit down with Jaris, uh on Tuesday, uh, and he just a wonderful wonderful young man, just infectious energy. As long as the, I think the right franchise can be patient with some of his faults. I think he can grow into a really promising player. I do think fit matters and I do think that there's a potential for him to work in Detroit. Let's move on to 6. We've got Cam Whitmore going to Orlando. This is going to be fascinating. Let's talk Cam Whitmore here. Um I have I am I so okay. I put out my annual big board mock and I'm trying to, I try to predict not where guys are going to pick, get picked. I'm trying to tell you who I think will have the best NBA careers when we look 10 plus years down the road. So I've got Whitmore outside the top 10. I, you know, it's going to be inevitable. We will have guys taken in the top 10 of this year's class who will prove not to be top 15 or even top 20 players in this class. It happens every year. So Whitmore, who I think I have like 14 or right around there, I've got him. I've got a much lower. Um, I came to that conclusion frankly, a couple of weeks ago, but in recent weeks, even like his stock, Adam has uh, yeah. allegedly been slipping, uh, had a wonderful pro day. I mean, a year ago, I talked to a, a GM earlier this week who said a year ago, this guy, I was like, come on, man, this is a top three prospect in the 23 draft class. And now that same GM was saying, I wouldn't put him on my like personal top 10. And to be clear, this is not a GM picking in the top 10, but he was, He's like, I can't believe how much I have changed my opinion on Cam Whitmore. Now, some of this has been the workout. Some of it has been he did not have, uh, you know, an absolute standout season at Villanova. There were times near the end of close games where he was on the bench. uh, Wasn't an ideal fit. I had another front office person tell me earlier this week, he straight up just picked the wrong coach in the wrong school to play for. So there's a lot of weird stuff happening with Whitmore. However, I can't help but wonder. Let's keep this in mind. I mean, it is – and kind of pull the phrase that's off, often used with the NFL draft. It is lying season, folks. I mean, it is, it is lying season up and down, and understandably so. So we will wait and see if the Whitmore slide is actually real. One, Finkelstein, do you think it's real? We've got him going to six, but do you actually think it's potential that he could even drop to eight or nine despite his undeniable physical attributes?
2: Well, I, I think that – The root of this information about him sliding starts in Detroit, because as we talked about, like Houston, the perception is they'll choose between a men and Whitmore. uh, Detroit at five is the team that was widely presumed to to then be the front runner to take Whitmore because um, he could theoretically fit with Cunningham and Ivy because he made strides as a shooter. The intel now is that he did not have a good workout in Detroit. And this started, you know, Matt, you and I were on CBS Sports HQ on Monday. I think we were the first ones to report this because you started to hear NBA teams calling around, um, trying to suddenly, suddenly potentially wondering if he's going to be available beyond the top five, which was not something that the teams assumed. So I will say this. I think if he doesn't go in the top five, uh, that that. You know, Orlando will will grab him quickly at six. But to your point, he is one of the more polarizing prospects in the draft, and the reason being is that it's really hard for us, in the media, sometimes, to talk about um, concerns that NBA teams have. Whether it's you know, if it's about things that that aren't aren't between the lines, and I, I think that in Cam's case, there was listen, there was a lot. There was if you want to talk about between the lines, there was a a really low assist rate. Last year, um, a almost historically poor assist rate. But if you watch the games, you would frequently see him break off from what Villanova was doing. Um, y- you would just kind of see teammates didn't necessarily love playing with them. The motor was inconsistent. Now, his overlap of explosiveness and sheer power coupled by the, the shooting strides he has made in the last couple of years, like that's real. So there's an argument to say you put him in NBA spacing and he's a top three prospect in this draft that's that's legitimate um but i think to your point matt to some of the the, what the gms are saying it's also legitimate that that he may go in there and he say you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do this uh what you're asking me to do the fact that he could go to detroit and have a bad workout um that to me is mind-boggling like if you can't get up for that what can you get up for and again. I don't think this comes down to, just like I was saying with Charlotte, I don't think this comes down to how many shots you make in a one on one setting. I think this has to do with your interview, how you present, your energy level, and stuff like that. Um, and if it were enough where Charlotte's, like, I don't think Jairus Walker's upside is anywhere near Cam Whitmore's. just to put that out there. Old takes, yeah. expo- you can nail me for this years down the road. But, so if, if Detroit's really thinking about that pick, and Detroit's also a candidate to move down, um, I think it's pretty telling about the concerns they have about Cam Whitmore. Now, if you're Orlando at number six, I think the upside is there. Anthony Black's a guy I would think about here, but but I don't think Cam Whitmore goes past number six because is his upside, if you're a fan of Cam Whitmore, there's a lot of people who think he's got a top three upside in this draft.
0: Yeah, I think there's a chance that, uh, Orlando actually pulls the trigger on this spot on Anthony Black. We will get to him shortly. He is going. He is due to be selected. Um, Adam talked about the first Thompson twin. KB, you've got the other one. So Indiana at seven. Uh, we've got him taking Asar. I, personally, I think Indiana in this spot um, will be a fascinating pick because we got to see what happens. Four, five, six, who's on the board. I My read on this is that Indiana will be uh, receptive to whomever is still there and uh and is more than you know is more than happy with with the with the options available that could be out there for them so that being said uh kb what makes Asar different from amen his twin brother
1: they're very similar uh assar is not quite the explosive athlete that amen is um Amin is seen as a, a better playmaker, um, which is weird because you look at the numbers last season, Asar actually had more assist per game, 6.1, than Amin did, which was 5.9. So it was basically a draw. Um, Asar is a more, I think, polished scoring weapon at this point. His shot is a little bit more settled. It, there's not a, a shoulder dip in his shot in the same way that we've seen Recently with Amin, which I think is a little bit concerning, Um, he's made pretty good strides, I think, as a shooter, kind of as a functional scorer. Really good athlete, improving finisher. Um, Still not a totally reliable shooter, but he has definitely made, I think, some strides on that front. He he can struggle a little bit to finish through contact when he's driving. Uh, Obviously, there's questions about the level of competition he faced playing in overtime elite um but led overtime elite in in regular season and assist per game last season shot 40 percent on catch and shoot jumpers um in the overtime elite playoffs six foot seven great size great frame very projectable fit as a you know a big wing who i think could be a really good defender and and be be kind of a two-way wing uh at the next level he's someone who i think will be a top 10 pick and it, at this spot in this draft, feels like pretty good value. He could go as high as I think number five to Detroit. Um, and so getting here, getting him here at like number seven, I think next to Tyrese Halliburton, um, I think that would, I think that would be a nice little addition here.
0: Okay, I haven't heard as high as five to Detroit. If it happens, KB, you called it. Uh, no, you called Detroit it. likes him. I think yeah. that's real. I think he's, I think okay. he's found him, but- What if, what if, what if we did have uh, Wemby? Miller Scoot both Thompson's I, I, that uh, if that actually plays out like that who I think the draft gets a little spicy if we get to uh, well, and it'd be
2: the first time in history if I'm not mistaken that we only have one pick in the top five coming from college basketball
0: Ooh, great great call and this is also going to be the first time trivia time Kyle
1: Boone because I know Finkelstein knows it oh, last no.
0: time the number one pick didn't come from college was
1: gosh dang it I just get so sweaty I'm like I'm I'm pitting out like that's what Jimmy told he me
0: when he listens to the tri- when he's not even involved <laughs> in.
1: Oh my gosh. I hear trivia time and I just freeze up. Time. What year? I freeze up a player. If I give you
0: the year, can you give me the player? Adam, you know it, right? I, I, don't. I I've oh, got, don't. I've got i got like
2: a couple. Yeah, I'm not oh, sure. It was two
0: thousand and one. That's incorrect. Two thousand My wife
2: my wife's hundred percent Italian. Am I on to something?
0: Uh yeah, you are. Okay. Yeah.
2: Go ahead. Say it and say it. We'll see if you Andre Barnani, is that how you say it?
0: Yes, 2006 to the Raptors was the last time the number one pick did not come from college. That streak will snap this year, and there's an outside chance that we only have one college player picked in the top five. That kind of corresponds with something GP and I talked about a lot on the show throughout last season in that it was one of the weaker freshman seasons collectively we had seen in recent years. Okay, Washington is at eight. We've got Anthony Black going there. Uh, I can't see... I don't want to say I can't see. I think it's a very low chance Anthony Black drops below eight. Uh, I'm sure Utah is hoping that he drops that far. Black has worked out for Washington twice at this point, and this feels, in some ways, I mean, I can see him going to Orlando, but this almost feels like it might be as safe of a pick out, you know, from four to eight, if you had to if you had to say what was the most likely, maybe it's Amen at four to Houston, maybe, I guess. But I don't know. There's, I guess there's the potential they could be um, throwing everyone off the scent there. Uh, Anthony Black, I've written about him. I've talked about him. I can shut up about this. Uh, how about this, Adam? Do you think that Anthony Black has with the fact that he doesn't have a good jump shot right now? Do you? I wrote this, and I and I genuinely believe it. Do you think Anthony Black, at his best at the NBA level, can actually be a notch above what Ben Simmons has been? Considering everything that has turned out to be the case with Ben Simmons,
2: um, I don't think he will be as good as Ben Simmons' best. I think people forget just how good Ben Simmons was before all the issues popped up. Um, but I will. But I will say that uh, Anthony Black is, if he goes number eight he's one of the top five guys in, in, on my board. Um, I, I wrote this yesterday, like in terms of players who like, like you love Matt, uh, Matt, like you love Derek Lively. Like I love Anthony black that way. And, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm higher on lively than I think most are as well. But yeah. like Anthony black to me is someone when he came out of high school, like we knew he couldn't shoot. Um, but we weren't really sure if he was like a, a big facilitating wing or a legit point guard. We're sure he's a legit point guard right now he's also one of the best defenders in this class. He also has one of the highest IQs in this class. So when you combine the positional size, the, the basketball IQ, the ability to play make for others and the defensive prowess, like that is a really impressive Venn diagram. And so the big question becomes the shooting. Um, and, and I don't, I never want to make too much of some of the pre-draft stuff we, we see in the highlights and stuff like that. But just like we got really concerned when we saw, Amen Thompson's shooting mechanics. I got optimistic when I saw some of the tweaks that Anthony black had made because he made so much progress this year at Arkansas. I think one of the things we don't talk about is that he got, um, you know, he was kind of a lanky kid in high school. He put on a significant amount of muscle mass this year at Arkansas, and it did not impact the way he moved at all. So he's just as fluid moving his feet on the perimeter. He's a defensive playmaker. And suddenly now he's a much better finisher than we expected so this is a guy whose rate of improvement has been really linear um at a a pretty advanced rate and and when I saw clips of the shooting I said wait a minute if he again just got to be able to make you know pull-ups and some spot-up threes We, we don't need James Harden step backs out of you because you do so much else and to the point you made earlier Matt some of these guys whether we want to admit it right now or not, are going to be busts. I don't think Anthony Black will. I think he ju- just does, has an overlap of too many things that are hard to find that he does well. Um, so I- I'm a big Anthony Black believer.
0: Uh, me too as well. Uh, let's go to nine at Utah. Now, there's, there's a number of risers, or at least perceived risers, And this at this point, this guy is the biggest one. I'm actually going to tee up Adam first. And then, KB, I want your input real quick after that as well. So we've got Utah and Danny Ainge running the front office. They're taking a swing. And it's a big one uh, on a guy named Bilal Kulabali. Now, he was Wembenyama's teammate uh, this past season he is on a rocket right now. I mean, the comparison in terms of stock and the advancement of it would be Jalen Williams a year ago out of Santa Clara, who wound up going, I think it was 12 and became a top five rookie this past season. Um, this is middly is like a, a pretty big swing uh, talking to two different people on Tuesday night, Adam. Um, and these are you know two different people at the, at the league level. It is not believed at this stage. Again, it's lying season, so I guess keep that in mind. It does, it it seems as though Koulibaly will not last past Toronto at 13. We've got him going nine to Utah. Who is this dude, Adam?
2: So this is in a draft that has a number of high risk, high reward prospects. He's at the top of the list. Um, he's a six foot six with a I think it's is it a seven two wingspan, something like that? He's he's ridiculously long. Is that what it is, Bone?
1: Yeah, uh, Gavoni actually has it as six eight. That's that's with shoes, with seven foot two and a quarter wingspan. So this dude is very very long, and he's he's equally athletic. Um,
2: he flies around the court defensively, um, and the shooting. There's enough that like it's not great, but there's enough there to be like, mm, can you make shots in time? And now this is a guy who wasn't even on Wemby's team at the beginning of the season, but progressed so so rapidly that they put him in there. Um, as the person who, who was assigned Utah's pick last night, let me just offer a little bit of context. Utah is in straight rebuilding mode. If you followed Danny Ainge over the years, he believes in stars above everything else. They've got three first-round picks. He's, he's not this – this is a guy who – are you guys golfers? Because this is a guy who, who tries to drive the green. He is not laying up here. Um, if, Danny Ainge, if Danny Ainge takes a big cut, and I'm going from golf to baseball. If he takes a big cut and he misses, <laughs> he's not getting fired. He's not. You know what I mean? He, he's, got the, he's got the leverage to take a big swing here. Put this in
0: um, highlight terms for me, Adam. Let's go.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is this is just. So I'm not saying this is going to work out. I'm just saying that given the upside, given what Utah is looking for, and given who is making the pick, I think this makes sense to me that he that he would take the shot.
0: Okay. KB, thoughts on Koulibaly?
1: Yeah, I think Koulibaly at this spot would be a power play, you know, to put it in hockey terms as, as we, <laughs> we do. we go. Here. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, he's a huge, I think, high-risk, high-reward gamble who has elite measurables. He really came on strong late in the season, played for Mets 92, who obviously... Victor Wiminyama was, was his teammate. And Wiminyama was really good down the stretch, helped kind of lead that team to the pro A finals. They ended up getting swept by Monaco, but Koulibaly was a huge part of that, really developed and and I think Koulibaly's like scouting report is he's like really good uh in terms of his his length, his size, his defensive acumen, uh can be kind of like a slasher, cutter. Yeah. but really developed i think as a as someone who can create a little bit off the dribble someone who showed some some flashes finishing around the basket and small sample size but he shot it pretty well down the stretch from three point range too so add all of that together and and you have someone who is shooting like above 35% from three point range that's a really interesting combination um i'm trying to think of an equestrian term here to use but i have none uh i would just say that koulibaly like in in five years if we look up and he is like out of the league it wouldn't surprise me but if he's like a potential all-star in five years it also wouldn't surprise me so the jazz obviously rebuilding here they want to take a huge swing and i think koulibaly is is definitely a worthwhile gamble
0: yeah, you mentioned huge swing and obviously to put this in uh, in croquet terms, you know, a yes. big wind up trying to hit it clean through the wickets there. I think exactly. that's I think that's the case there. OK, t- uh, Dallas is at 10. and Trust me, I'm going to start clustering these picks once we get out of the lottery. Nada has informed me we are on pace for like a three hour podcast. This will not be a three hour podcast, said the guy who hopes this can't be clipped and shared later when it's a three hour podcast. I promise it won't be. Um Uh, I'm hearing that this might be the most vulnerable spot for a trade in the lottery. We will see if that comes to pass. Apparently, Dallas has been uh, asking around. Again, it's lying season. We'll see. But it seems like this has the most potential in the lottery to potentially get moved. Um, Credit to Bobby Marks. I saw this this morning on Twitter. I didn't realize this was the case. Ten teams in this draft have 34 of the 58 picks. Ten teams have 34 of the 58 picks. And here's the deal. This is a mildly below average group overall as a draft class. Like particularly if remove Wembenyama because he is tilting the scale. On balance, this is not the draft that you would not want to have. Uh, a higher portion. I mean, the Pacers, good God, they got five picks in this thing. So I don't know if that means we have more or less likely trade action. There's usually like, there's a lot of stuff going on in the second round that no one really cares about or pays attention to. In the context of the lottery, that's what people want to see. Perhaps Dallas is going to be that team, but we are obviously picking, thinking that it's going to keep the pick. We've got Hawkins, uh, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn going 10th. Um, I'll just say, right. we got Hawkins at 10? We've got Orlando at 11. Grady Dick seems like the debate between who's the best shooter in the draft is between those two. Oh, by the way, like maybe it will be Brandon Miller. I mean, he's in, he's in that conversation as well, but, uh but pure shooting and what, what you're going to be known for, how you're going to earn your NBA paycheck. It's Hawkins and Grady Dick. We've got them back to back. So why not? KB, you start on Hawkins and then, uh and then Adam jump in with Orlando taking Grady Dick.
1: Yeah. Hawkins is, I think a really good kind of high floor prospect who, Arguably could be the best shooter in the draft. I think it's a debate and a reasonable debate between Hawkins and Grady Dick. Um, he was fabulous for UConn down the stretch. UConn won the national championship, as some people might remember first reported
0: uh, on the Ion college basketball podcast. That's right.
1: You heard it here first folks. You heard it here first. Um, average 16.2 points per game was really kind of his own offensive weapon in, in a unique way in that, he reminds a little bit of, and I, I shouldn't compare to Steph Curry, but the way in which he runs around in circles and just creates his own offense just by being a complete madman is uh, is fabulous. It's fun to watch. He shoots, you know, around thirty nine percent from three point range. I think it would be an excellent spot up shooter. Probably some questions about how his game beyond that will project um, in terms of his shooting ability. Like, I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to be necessarily a, a creator or a playmaker. But for what he is, I think he's going to be really good. Um, If you're going to use him running off screens as a spot-up shooter, uh, someone who can kind of space the floor for you, uh, I think that is uh, obviously very very valuable. Uh, Duncan Robinson is getting tons and tons of bags because he is a good shooter. Uh, Jordan Hawkins is going to get many, many bags because he is exactly that. He's a great shooter. Um, In this range, it feels about right. I think he'll end up going top 20. Um, Maybe doesn't have the star upside that you would – hope for, but I think again, high floor, you know what you're getting with him. He's an elite weapon when it comes to shooting the basketball.
2: All right. I'll give you my, my, my uh, quick take. I, um I don't envision Denver taking a defensive liability in the backcourt for as badly as they need shooting. So I think uh, if Taylor Hendricks is on the board here, I would think that would be a higher probability that he would go rather than Jordan Hawkins. Um, I do, I subscribe to the theory that Hawkins is the best movement shooter in the draft, uh, Grady Dick right there as well. I think Grady Dick's measurables are off the charts. I think Orlando, um, Orlando has better perimeter defenders than Dallas does. They can afford to take, um, either one of those guys, but I think they have more of a hole on the wing. So I think Grady Dick to Orlando is a, is a very legitimate possibility. Um, Jordan Hawkins kind of a throwback two guard just because of his size, very lean frame. It's going to be interesting to see how how long it takes to build that body up to the point where he's able to withstand the physicality he sees at the NBA level. Um, Grady Dick can step right in, I think, and, and play minutes right off the bat. Um, he's a little farther along physically. He's got better size. He's got a really high release. As I said, I do like Hawkins as the best movement shooter. I just think Grady Dick more of a conventional wing with his size and farther along physically at this point.
0: OKC is at 12 we've got OKC taking Taylor Hendricks but Adam swing it right back to you volley it right back to, to steal a tennis term um, a lot of college hoops fans didn't even see Taylor Hendricks last season what did he do to go from solid college prospect but not a five star guy to being a one and done at a school like UCF which did not even compete to get into the NCAA tournament.
2: Well, he, he really checked the boxes as a three and D, um, as a three and D prospect. So a lot of the players we, we've talked about in the top 10, you know, we're, we're talking about dynamic athleticism. I mean, you think about it, there's four of them. There's, there's Kula Balee, there's the Thompsons and there's, the, there's Whitmore that we're saying like, in in even Wallace to a Jairus Walker, I'm sorry, to a certain extent where you're saying, well, we're not sure how well he shoots it. Uh, he's, he's not the same caliber athlete. Jairus isn't, but, um, Taylor Hendricks is, is a shooter. And he's a shooter who combines that ability to stretch the floor with defensive versatility. So what he is not at this point is the playmaker uh, that some of those guys are. But um, so where we've talked about a lot of high risk, high reward players because of the questions in the shooting, Taylor Hendricks is the opposite. He's a high floor guy because he's shown he can stretch the floor. He's shown he's quick off his feet athletically. He's shown he can be versatile defensively. And I know that's everybody's going to say versatile defensively. So let me break it down. Mm. It's six foot nine. He can really move laterally. He can get out and slide his feet on the perimeter. But whether that's guarding like a a stretch four or whether that's in various types of pick and roll coverages, he's also a very good uh, weak side rim protector because he's quick off his feet and he's got good timing. So those are all things that are applicable to the NBA in day one. And even if he doesn't become a creator, he's at minimum a a really solid role player. And as I wrote yesterday, I just have a hard time telling this 19-year-old who's improved at an exponential rate over the last two years that he doesn't have any upside. So that's why, to me, Taylor Hendricks is someone who is on the board a possibility at number five. And honestly, I I think Taylor Hendricks is much more likely to go five to eight than I do uh, slip down here to 12. But if he goes to 12, Um, I just, uh, my, my belief in Sam Presti's draft magic will, will be solidified for all time.
0: Fair enough. Hendricks is an interesting one to track. And obviously, uh, he's not the rise of the way that Koulibaly is because Hendricks has been up there for a while, but he is a guy who, when he gets drafted on Thursday night, and if you just kind of dial into the draft or just listen to this podcast, being like, all right, the draft's happening. Let me, let me check. And you're gonna be like, what, (laughs) um, we've got Toronto at 13. We've got Derek Lively, the second going there. Um, I think Derek Lively will be a top three, top five player from this class when we look up a decade from now, because I think he will develop into a modern five who can shoot reliably from distance. He's going to put on at least 10 pounds of muscle. Obviously, he's a lob menace, can rim run well, can guard in space. uh, I want to keep the pod moving, so I'm not going to ask for evals on uh, on him. I know yeah, Adam; you said you're you're pretty high on him. Not quite as i No one's higher on Lively than me. I am. I am. I am pushing all in and saying he is going to grow into something uh, pretty damn special. I think. Uh, whereas before he was in the 14 to 20 range, as you know, a month ago, now it feels it really feels like he could be anywhere from like 11 to 15 overall. We'll see. At 14, we've got New Orleans taking Jalen Hocefino out of Indiana. And at 15, KB, we've got Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky uh, going to uh, Atlanta there. Um, personally for you, w- which of those two do you like better? Who do you think has the better chance of having the uh, the more long-lasting, fruitful NBA career?
1: Yeah, I, th- I like Jalen hood Shafino long-term a little bit more than I like Kaysen Wallace. Um, I, I think his combo guard skill set will, will be able to translate to the NBA. There's, there's maybe some questions about... Kaysen Wallace and and what maybe he can do on that front. But Kaysen is a pretty good prospect in his own. I I think I have wrestled, in fact, over both of these guys and where to rank them. Uh, Kaysen would make a lot of sense for the Hawks. He's a great defensive prospect, shot around 35% from three, Um, can be kind of a secondary playmaker next to Trey Young, which I think is really important. Um, There's a lot of untapped potential. We've seen kind of underutilized or misused uh, guards at Kentucky over the years go on to be like NBA stars: Tyrese Maxey, Tyler Hero, Caseon uh, Wallace could definitely be next. So you're probably splitting hairs there, uh, debating Jalen Hutchefino and Caseon Wallace. Both these guys, though, are in the lottery. I think should be going in the lottery. Uh, really, really high on on both of these guys. Yeah, Matt. Look look Uh, out. Let me just
2: add this five seconds. Look out for Jordan Hawkins at New Orleans because they need shooting. They took a big defensive guard last year. If Jordan Hawkins is on the board, I I think there's a a lot of uh, lot of smoke on that one.
0: I I like I like those Nuggets. So yeah, drop them in as you know for sure, Adam. Um, would be interesting to see if Jordan Hawkins is still lingering there. Can see it. Uh, we'll see. I think Casey Wallace is like a top two perimeter on ball defender in the draft uh, so uh, i had no but, idea
2: we were so aligned in this this is great yeah
0: okay good deal um, I, I i absolutely adored watching case and wallace play defense and uh and his shooting numbers i mentioned this on a previous pod before he got injured at kentucky His shooting numbers were actually healthy but we'll see he's had a little bit of a bumpy pre-draft process there at utah at 16 we've got leonard miller from g-league unite going second g-league unite player but adam uh real quick with Buffkin, Kobe Buffkin, 17 to the Lakers. I don't think he's going to be here at 17. I, agree. I base that off of, and I don't, I'm not as like, I actually like Buffkin. I'm just not as, I'm just not as in, I don't know. I just got to kind of see a little undersized, but he had a nice job as a sophomore season, but in talking to a few folks past 48 hours, um, Uh, riser like i just don't i don't think he's going to be here at 17 what was it about his sophomore season and pre-draft process that has enabled puffkin to seemingly be on a pace to be a lottery pick
2: so a few different things one is the age he was very young for a college freshman in fact as a sophomore he's younger than a number of the freshmen currently in the draft Um, the second thing is context there is a belief whether right or wrong uh, that it, as the season began, this this team was built around Jet Howard and um, and Hunter up front, and that Kobe kind of assumed uh, the the role not out of what was necessarily given to him, but out of just what he showed that he he had to take. There's also all of this untapped upside because he's still physically undeveloped. He's another one of these guys that has improved at such a rapid rate, and that to me is for all the things we we um, we assess in this draft prospect process the rate of improvement is the thing we don't talk about enough um you know you can talk about who shoots who's athletic who's long but who continues to get better is ultimately you know what's going to be most important potentially down the road Cody Buffkin is getting um better at a rapid rapid rate and last but not least is extreme potential versatility as he builds up his body because a lot like Jordan Hawkins he may not be physically ready for the NBA but Um, He can potentially play on or off the ball. He's a he's an engaged defensive player. And if the shooting, you know, keeps coming, I mean, I think it's good enough where you have some optimism. Um, He checks a lot of boxes. So getting better on off ball, super smooth lefty uh, defends. There's just a lot to like. I think he could be in play as early as OKC.
0: Every remaining player we have going in the first round played college basketball last season. We're going to take one more break, breeze through the rest of the first round, and then tell you about our second uh, round sleepers before we get out of here. But first, one more break. Here's a word from our sponsors. All right, so <laughs> Kyle Boone, Kyle Boone, be back here. If you're watching on video, Kyle Boone. <laughs> well, let's—he's no Scott Hanson. Let's just let's put it that way. All right, 18, we've got Miami taking Dariq Whitehead. 19, we've got Jaime Jaquez going to Golden State. 20 we've got andre kyle Boone. where the hell are you we're about to talk andre jackson jr get back Oh, oh you, you
2: can't skip andre jackson
0: jr i know I mean, so we'll, we'll do right here there. yeah yeah there we go there we go That's amazing we almost talked andre jackson jr without you if you're listening you're not seeing any of this but this is why you should subscribe to the youtube channel um all right whitehead out of duke going to miami hawk has going to golden state. I actually think Hawkins, uh has a good chance at Miami or golden state. I feel like he's going somewhere in this like 17 to 20 range overall. Yeah. Um, I, I love Hawkes'. I think Hawkes is just going to be an amazing fit wherever he goes. And he is just going to find a way to stick around, be a sometime starter and just be a dude who helps out a team. I love his long-term potential. Whitehead is super fascinating. I'll tee up Adam real quick on whitehead because he had, he's had two foot issues, had an inconsistent season last season, I saw this guy. I remember the first time I saw him play was at peach jam two years ago. I happened to be sitting next to Shire. And I was like, I got to believe Cause sometimes I step into a peach jam game and I know some of the guys, I don't know that some of the others. And, um, and I hadn't looked at the roster and I was like, John, I got to believe you're here to, to watch this guy. <laughs> he's like, yes, you're right. So he winds up going to Duke. Uh, he's got the size. He was a projected lottery pick. And now a uh, healthy chance. He doesn't go in the lottery. Um, but Adam, you really like, of words yeah, exactly. You 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 really like his chances. If I read this correctly, to ultimately be a guy who winds like no guarantee, yeah, but there's a holy chance he's a top ten player in this draft class when we look up a half decade from now.
2: I think there's. Uh, if I had it, it, that's possible. I think if I had to phrase it, um, I think there's a chance he's a ten year pro. I think I like the chances that he's a ten year pro. Um, I, I'll say this. Y- one of the, my pet peeves and through nobody on this podcast is the you can people you just who,
0: come right at me. Just come right. I can take it. All right, all right.
2: All right. So the people who go to peach jam and then they're like, Oh, I saw him in high school. I'm like, come on. You saw him play once, you know? And it's like, and, <laughs> and my thing is, is Derek Whitehead is, is not um, there's all these narratives about what Derek Whitehead was in high school. And again, this, this ironically is not about what you saw next to John Shire. It's about all the the narratives about what Derek Whitehead was in high school, and and I, I saw this thing about how he was the shot maker in high school. No, he wasn't. Like he was he was a physically mature, tough kid who had a big reputation in eighth grade. And I can't emphasize how hard it is to be an eighth grader with national hype, and to and to like still continue to get better each day, and how it speaks to like what's inside that person and and the humility and the work ethic. So he was a big physical kid who could defend, who could pass, who could compete and who continued to get better at that point where he's shown tremendous growth and I alluded to this last night on the show is with his shooting. So while he was hurt this year, to me, the fact that he continued to try and play this year when he was hurt the whole time. Like there's no doubt in my if you saw him play yeah. in high school, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that he was a shell of himself athletically this year at duke but where there was clear progression was with regard to his shooting so when you add all that stuff up and you say as long as there's nothing like structurally wrong with him that's gonna lead to some sort of chronic injuries and i don't know that i don't have access to the medical but assuming there's no huge red flags in the medical then yes he's absolutely someone that i like more than most because i i i know the backstory and i know who he was as an eighth grader and how he continued to get better. And I buy the defense. I buy the passing. I'm not even sure he worked out in Miami, but I think he fits the culture of who Miami is. And that's why I I, I thought that might make some sense.
0: Yeah, there's a few guys with with the medical that uh that kind of make a moving targets and Whitehead is one of them. We're gonna to get to another one in a second here. Andre Jackson Jr. twenty to Houston, KB. Uh I think he will just make it work. I don't I actually I'm, I don't know if the shot's ever gonna to come together, but you look across the history of the NBA and they're just there there are guys that, that find a way to play for a decade and they just they they serve certain purposes and roles and Jackson does so many things uh, Andre Jackson Jr. Kyle Boone
2: How are you guys related Boone?
1: <laughs> yeah. And Andre Jackson Jr is my large adult son and I will happily take him top 20 in the NBA draft. He is 6 foot 6, 200 plus pounds. Look at his counting stats last season. Or UConn, which won the national championship in men's college basketball this season, as we first reported on this podcast, 6.7 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists per game, intangible superstar, very good leader, someone who you want in your foxhole fighting with you, he's a dog. He's a dog. He's someone who I want on my team. I think he can a play a husky, team. in fact. Well, yeah. Exactly. Yes. So I was just being factual there. <laughs> um, he is someone who, like the the counting stats, don't totally do justice. I think to how impactful he can be as a player. I'm very high on him as a prospect. It's kind of a running bit, but I really do think he is like a mid to late first round talent in in this draft. Um, there's certainly some questions about. What his shot is going to be, or if he is going to be able to shoot it at all at the NBA level. Um, but you know, long combo guard, great defense, intangibles, um, someone who I think is is going to be a good leader. Kind of helped lead that UConn team last season to to a national championship. So. Definitely someone who I would uh, be willing to take a gamble on probably in this range in the draft.
0: Fascinated by where he winds up going. Um, I'm high on him. You're high on him. Some others are high on him. He was a high profile player for national champion. Uh, If you told me he was still there at 27, it wouldn't stun me, Uh, but all it takes is one team and you know, he's going to just pass the interview process with flying colors and just so many other things he does. So intriguing guy, but it's, he's going to have to go to a team that wants to use him in the right ways. We'll see. Uh, Brooklyn back-to-back, 21-22. We'll see if that winds up sticking. A couple guys who I think uh, the medicals here might play a part in where and how they get drafted. Nick Smith, Jr. out of Arkansas. Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. Adam, quick thoughts on either one of those guys.
2: I, I think what you'll see Brooklyn do is um... – Take a swing with one pick. So I, I don't think it's likely they take both guys. I know in last night's mock, like I was responsible for one. I think you were responsible for the other, Matt. I, I, I think what you'll see them do is take someone out of the Jaime Jaquez, Chris Murray, Omax type club, like someone who can come in and, and play rotation minutes, and then with the second pick, take a swing on someone like Sensaba or Nick Smith. Uh, Nick Smith was the top-ranked high school prospect in the country last year, um, had the knee injury. Uh, it was not, you know, we can only hope that some of the things we saw were a result of, of the knee or him trying too hard because, like, defensively, there were real concerns there, even in terms of the feel. Like, that, that to me, from a scouting standpoint, that stood out. Like, he looked like he was always in a rush this year, whereas in high school he was always playing within the flow and everything was smooth. So it was a much different pace, which we, and not in a good way that we saw him at this year at Arkansas. I'm gonna to choose to believe like if if you see some of like his reactions in the locker room afterwards, you could see how emotionally vested he was in playing uh, for his, I believe it's his home state university. So I, I think a lot of it had to do with that. Um, I still have have hopes for his upside, but I admittedly have more questions than I did coming out of high school. Bryce Sensabaugh, um, just like this big bodied scoring kind of mismatch because of how naturally thick he is uh, scoring guard, scoring wing. Uh, my questions there, admittedly, are um, how that impacts winning. I mean, Ohio State was was so disappointing this year uh, that I just don't put a whole lot of stock in the in the guy who who scores for the team that doesn't win. Um, so I'm admittedly a little more—I uh, don't want to say lower, but a little more skeptical of him than others may be. But I think th- those are two high upside. Uh, prospects that could be on the board for Brooklyn. I do expect them to go safer with one of the two picks though.
0: All right. Next two are, are very different players. We got Portland taken Jackson Davis, uh, Trey Jackson Davis. and we got the uh, Sac- Sacramento taken Omax prosper. Jackson Davis was the focal point on his team and the second best player in the sport last season. Omax prosper was on an even better team, but he was a supplementary piece who has just <laughs> I mean, given jet fuel to his draft stock. Uh, just uh, one word: uh, buy or sell. Omax Prosper as uh, like a long-term hit. Kyle Boone: buy or sell. Omax Prosper. Are you buying the pre-draft hype? Buy or sell? I am buying. Okay, Adam: buy or sell?
2: Define hit.
0: Uh, he is going to make it to a. He will be in the NBA for eight years and play through two contracts.
2: Okay, mid-level or below. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll take that. Yeah. I'll buy. Yeah.
0: I think I, I think I would I think I would sell. Some of these guys are not gonna do it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I would
2: I would sell Jackson Davis. I, I apologies to my friends at Indiana. But no, you, no, you.
0: I, I you know what? How dare you? I would uh I think I think I would as well and uh, love the player. Is this live? Look Am I there's... getting text yet? Hold on. Yeah, you're, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> you're good. Um, but in right, Indiana more... gets internet in three weeks. Well, that's true. You'll oh, hear from them. I didn't
0: even think about that. The, oh, You'll hear from them. Indiana him. fans thought they were spared with no Gary Paris on the pod, and here comes Finkelstein. Size My guy Peeks. Oh, My guy Peeks. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, 25. Speaking of Gary Paris, Memphis. Um, all right, Memphis taking Chris Murray. I don't think Murray's on the board at 25 Personally, I think that uh, he has done enough and shown enough that he will be gone by here. But nonetheless, we have um, the Grizz taking Chris Murray. And uh, I, I, I like Chris Murray's cha- – how about this? Uh, of the guys that recently just got, went off the board here, uh, I like Murray more than Omax. I like him more than Trace. I like him more than Sensabaugh. I think I like him more than Smith and I and Jackson's right there. I do like Hawkins a lot. So that's something to be considered. All right, 26 Indiana. Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara. Kyle Boone has a feature on uh Pajemski that is going up Wednesday shortly after this podcast goes live. So obviously you have the floor, Kyle Boone.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. To steal a pickleball term here. Oh, I'm leaving. This is Brandon Brandon Pajemski. <laughs> He's been in the kitchen. He's been in the kitchen. He's cooking. There we go. There we He's go. cooking, and his draft stock is soaring right now. This is a guy who, like a month and a half ago, was you know maybe the late first round pick. projected. Can I rebuttal? Go ahead. I just want to rebuttal. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish. 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 Oh my gosh! Can't yeah, just you can rebuttal. One. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, so <laughs> got me rattled, Fink. P- Pajemski is a guy who I think will end up being a top 25 pick. He just got invited to participate in the green room, which is a pretty good indication for the most part, historically.
0: There's been like 34 invites and that's fine. Right. Have all these people go experience, but it is, it is not what it once was. So
1: yes. yes, yes. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see. I think his range in this draft is somewhere between like 15 and 30. Um, it's pretty wide. He's worked out for a ton of teams. But this is someone who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, went to Illinois, played 69 total minutes at Illinois, decided to transfer Brad Underwood, essentially said, like, you're not good enough to play here. go somewhere else. He goes to Santa Clara, follows in the footsteps of one Jalen Williams, who was the number 12 pick in last year's draft. Wins co-WCC player of the year honors. Really smooth combo guard, can shoot it, can be a facilitator. Um, I'm high on his prospects. Uh, I, I think, you know, I have him probably ranked somewhere between like 20 and 25. Um, and yeah, like I, I think he can be a useful kind of rotation guard for, for a long time. Let's hear your rebuttal, Fink. Let's hear it.
2: All right. So real quick, he is, uh, I actually agree with the vast majority of what you said there. I do think he'll be taken in the first round. I've been told um, that if he's available at 30, that the Clippers are very, very high on him. Um, and I think obviously the NBA has access to that intel as well because they're not going to risk t- uh, inviting someone to the green room who's going to be there in the second round because that makes for bad TV. Uh, so I do think he'll be taking
0: amazing TV. Just I mean, Will Levis last until day two in the NFL draft. Let's, let's just keep that in mind here. So, but I mean, let's. That's, get the event yeah, this
2: better. That, that's that's rough. But you know, so much of this to me. And, and like, I enjoy this because, like, hey, we had him evaluated right out of high school. You know, like, he should have played more at Illinois. But I wonder if the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction because, like, there's no similarities in his game. Uh, people want to talk about Jalen Williams. Like, they they couldn't be more opposite as a player. Totally. At, the NBA, yep. at the NBA Combine, they, they do a, um, you know, they measure vertical leap. And it's strictly how high up you get he measured a 39-inch vertical leap. So the people who want to like Brandon. 39 um, and a half. Exactly. (laughs) So people who want to like Brandon really value every half inch in that process. Um, (laughs) Whereas if you watch him play, I mean, his feet almost never come off the ground. Like he doesn't play athletically at all. Like give him a runway with no bodies around him. Sure, he'll rise up. But that's not functional basketball athleticism. Um, he also like, there was, there was, there's a length issue as well. So I think offensively he's very intriguing because of his shot making, but defensively and athletically, I have a lot of concerns. I do think he's a first round pick though. Yeah. Okay.
0: We've, we wrap up the first round with this, with this quartet. All right. Charlotte takes Keontae George out of Baylor. Utah takes Jet Howard out of Michigan. Indiana takes Noah Clowney out of, out of Alabama and the Clippers take Colby Jones out of Xavier. Kyle Boone, you go first. Which of those four players do you want to talk about? Yeah, I would go Jed Howard at 28. I let's talk. Let's talk, Jet, and let me interrupt you right now. Yeah, go ahead. Because I feel like his projections have been a, li- a little bit all over the place, mm-hmm. and I find him to be a polarizing prospect in the context of him like some – Couple of people I talked to really aren't that huge on his prospects at this point in his life, uh, while others seemingly are. I think he probably gets taken the first round, but I would put him in the group that it would not surprise me if we actually get to pick thirty-one and he is he, he is in still. the green room. I actually don't know if he's in the green room or not. I don't know. I don't know that to be the case, Adam. Good question. Go so, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Jeff?
1: Yeah, like I, I think he's someone who will end up being. Uh, pretty wide in terms of like where we think he will be drafted. I've seen people have him as uh, you know, like a late lottery guy. Um, he fell to the late first round here. Someone who is a really good shooter. Um, there's some pro- probably some questions about like what else can he bring to the table? He's got good size. He's got good frame. So uh, I think if he can channel that and harness it could be a good or serviceable defensive player in time. Um, he struggled throughout kind of the, the the back half of last year at Michigan as, as a true freshman. I think he was dealing with some injuries, and, and maybe that had something to do with it. Kobe Bufkin's rise probably also had something to do with it. That team just not being very good and not being very cohesive at Michigan probably had something to do with it. Um, but yeah, just generally speaking, like six foot eight wings who shoot around thirty seven percent from three. Uh, I am I'm buying, uh, especially in in this part of the draft where it's hard to find you know like useful role players i think Jed howard can at least be a useful role player so um there's there's some value here i think in Jed howard i'd be surprised if he fell uh this far in the, in the draft on thursday night
0: adam either way good bad or otherwise yeah he, he isn't he,
1: he is in the green room you're not going to
2: invite juan howard's kid if, if he's not going to get taken in the first round Um, and, uh, my, he's got to be able to defend his position, tough shot maker, positional size, just like, just like Boone said, um, doesn't defend and whether he can't, or he won't, uh, that, that is, that is the question, but he's got to be able to defend his position. Um, Keontae George, uh, to me and, and, um, uh, Noah Clowney, the other two potential one and done freshmen Keontae George was a five-star guy coming out of high school, totally changed his body in this last year like to me he's yeah. he's good value at the potential upside like scoring guard and Clowney's interesting because he's got the length and athleticism with um you know he went to the perfect school because he was encouraged to shoot three pointers despite like statistically it being I believe under 30 percent so now people are intrigued by his shooting potential uh in the combination of of his athleticism and he too has a a green room invite, which suggests that there's intel that he's going to be a first round pick.
0: That is our first round before we get out of here. uh, I do want to talk about a few guys that we like that did not get picked in our mock um, and second round guys who we think will will hit just, just proved to be taken many spots too late. And, and you know, when we look up they're they're just going to undeniably be uh, a number of teams will have missed on So I'll give my first three, here, and then you guys uh, give, me, give me three others a piece. So the ones who did not go off the board, and mine are all like probably back-end second-round guys. These are guys that I think uh, are going to make it. They're going to stick. They're going to get to a second contract. I, I love Isaiah Wong out of Miami. Super confident player. Uh, he's, got, he's got some age to him. Good distributor. Absolutely has NBA range, and he might be a situation where he's got to go to the right team but I really like his chances. Really good athlete. Adama Sanogo. I'm very big on. And, uh, sometimes occasionally I'll talk to an NBA guy, and they'll be like, man, you're such a college writer. Like you love these guys, but I'm, I'm just telling you to is bigger than you think he is. He's got great touch. Uh, awesome around the rim. I don't, he's not, he actually showed he could shoot a little bit from three. They're not going to ask him to do him to do that at the next level. So he will be limited, but I do think he is going to make it in the NBA. I actually, I, I, I think his overall value and what he can do is even still undervalued in this draft class. So I like Sonogo, and then Jordan Miller, uh, Jordan Miller. I just, I watched him be tremendous. And so yes, I have two hurricanes on my list. Uh, he was, you know, as a guy who's a little bit more unconventional at, at the wing spot, I, I saw it time and time again. And, uh, and I think that if he goes to the right franchise, he is going to be someone that, can put up significant minutes and real impact uh, through two contracts. So those are my three non first rounders and mine are all on the back end. Adam, I'll go to you three guys that we did not pick in the first round who you like to eventually be, you know, top 20 to 30 players from this class X number of years from now.
2: Yeah, so potential first-round caliber picks that we didn't mention. Uh, Marcus Sasser out of Houston. I think the biggest question is durability, given some of the injuries he's had. You know, there's been a, a toe, a shoulder, and Achilles. Um, but he really defends. He's really long uh, for, for a relatively undersized guard by NBA standards. And he's got a pretty versatile bag offensively. It's, it's, uh, there's not a lot of point guard depth in this class. So I think you could see him between 25 and 30. If he slips into the second round, he's someone to me that, that could stick. Um, Ben Shepard out of Belmont, another guy who I think has significant first round traction, six foot five guards. If you're looking for a three and D guy, because, you know, just like we were saying with Jet Howard, like we know he shoots, but he doesn't guard. Um, there's a lot of guys who were saying, uh, you know, we like, uh, Boone, correct me on the pronunciation here, but is it Ryan Rupert? Like, you know, we know he guards, but he doesn't shoot. Uh, Ben Shepard's one that checks both boxes. He's six foot five. He made 42% of his threes this year, knocked down two and a half per game. I think he made 48% of his threes on the move last year at Belmont. He can guard, uh, defend. He's, I think he's a more versatile. Ironically, I'm not sure those shooting numbers sustain themselves, but I think he's a more versatile player than is advertised. I think he's got a significant chance to go in the first round. And then one of my personal favorites is Kobe Brown out of um, You know, just this big, almost football build, 250 pounds. But he's skilled too. He can dribble, pass, and shoot. He could he dribbled and passed under Konzo Martin. And last year after the coaching change, he started to shoot. If those shooting numbers sustain themselves, he's like this versatile guy who, although he's not like super light on his feet, he can defend bigger guys, guard up the lineup. If he can make threes for teams that like to play small ball, he would make a lot of sense. Like Golden State, I, you know, that would be a terrific fifth.
0: All right, To uh, to lift a turn from track, obviously, let's hand the baton to uh, to Kyle Boone. Three guys you like not going in our first round are?
1: Yeah, I'll go with Ryan Rupert. Uh, that's someone who Finkelstein just mentioned here. Six-foot-six wing from, from the NBL. Uh, played with the New Zealand Breakers. Um, guards, but not a shooter at this point. Definitely a project prospect, but... <laughs> I love me some project prospects late in the first round, early in the second round. He's six foot seven, has a seven foot two wingspan. I think there's some some promise there. There's a lot of I think uh, potential long term. I would be buying some Ryan Rupert stock. In in a few years, I think he could be one who we look up and, and is uh, and is actually making an impact in the NBA. Did you take Ben Shepherd? I did,
2: but you double down. We can both take oh. Ben Shepherd. I was going to take Andre Jackson as my favorite second round pick. So you,
1: <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I can't share, so I'm not going to try and share Mr. Ben Shepard with you. I will take Tristan Vucevic from Serbia. Um, he's someone who stood out at the NBA draft combine, played really well in the scrimmages, played so well the first day that he decided, yeah, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to come back for the second day. He's seven foot, had a mm. stretch in, in the first scrimmage where, I don't know the exact number, but he scored like 13 points in a row and had the complete attention of the gym, where he was scoring it uh, from the inside. He was doing some back-to-the-basket stuff and fadeaway stuff. He was shooting some threes. Seven-footers who can do that are pretty darn rare, and uh, there's there's definitely, I think, some some questions about his defense, uh, his, his probably his mobility. He had the second-worst vertical jump. At the NBA Draft Combine, obviously worse than Brandon Pajemski, who who had a 39.5 inch vertical jump. Uh, but I I like Vucevic. He's someone who I think will end up being a, a top 40 pick in this class. And then the final one that I will throw out here, I, I can't I can't believe you took Kobe Brown. I'm just so offended. So offended. I will go with Turk Smith. Um, he's six foot three, like 160 pounds, very very skinny. Uh, it's had like a kind me. of
0: who he, yeah yeah am like 6'3", 172 wow yeah, yeah it's. He's... I, have, I also have a 39 and a half inch vert just so we're clear okay
1: 39 or 39 and a half 39.5 oh.
0: get it right half inch. Inch.
1: yeah good 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 um yeah like someone who's going to be a, a natural scorer in the nba maybe a microwave scorer off the bench um he's got great range good pick and roll weapon not really a facilitator um definitely on the slender side um probably needs to improve his, his defensive acumen, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to like, he's kind of a skinny assassin who, who can do a lot of things on offense. Um, I, I like kind of what he brings to the table. Uh, I feel like on offense, you know, kind of to use a a football term, he, he can, he can really blitz you um, on offense score a lot of points <laughs> and bunches. So uh, someone who I like is is probably a little bit overlooked right now, but uh, Long term, on buying some Turk Smith stock.
2: We've we really Canadian, Canadian doubles is where it's two on one, right? That's Canadian the tennis term. That's where it's two, Canadian doubles, two on one. I think, I think so.
0: I'm not right now. Listen, credit to Finkelstein. I mean, he came in first of all. Can you imagine him hopping on this? Like if a parish was on here for, for Paris wouldn't allow four people. He's just not allowing a four person podcast. Not, <laughs> not if it's up to him. But uh, he got the full experience. This thing is an hour and twenty with ads. It's like an hour twenty seven. But um. I appreciate you so much, Adam, for coming in and uh, and stepping in here. That is. Boom, uh, love
2: you, brother. This was fun. Yeah. This was, a ton, yes. this
0: was a ton of fun. Before we get out of here, I got two more things, and then we're gonna go. All right. One, I see Nada's freaking tweeting about the Hornets. He's he's done. He's done. Nada, get on the microphone. You're not getting but, out of this draft. Sir, sir, I, I am emotionally cooked. I'm. No, I don't care. I got I, nothing left. One word. I want one word. It is up All to you. I ask you is you are Mitch Kupchak. Okay, you are running the Hornets. Do you want Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller on your team? A reminder this dude hated Mark Williams a year ago.
2: I, the, and the, which is why
0: I wasn't a fan
2: of Brandon Miller at the beginning. I had some people tell me, hey, you're being an idiot about this. So I'm going to go with the, instead of going for the sugary sweet Scoot Henderson, I'm going to go eat my Wheaties, eat my spinach. And I'm going to take the Brandon Miller. Okay, because I think there is something there, even though I don't think he's going to be strong enough to be an NBA-level guy for at least two years. It's Thank Brandon you. Miller for me at this point.
0: Okay, so he's going Brandon Miller. That is the expected route. I'd love a plot test. We will, we will see about that. I And one tiny bit, we'll loop in the 247 Sports Universe even more on this podcast. Travis Branham, our colleague, but really Finkelstein's colleague on that there side, He tweeted news. Kentucky guard Antonio Reeves moved into his dorm last night and is expected to return to Kentucky for the 2023-24 season. A source tells 247 Sports Calipari is back. That's obviously, that is huge. There had been plenty of speculation. We will get into that more on another episode once that actually becomes official. And after we get through the draft, GP and I will get into all that. But it did happen in the context of us recording this episode. And so that is a, a bit of college news. Kentucky has like, you know, five uh, scholarship spots to spare at this point. Getting Reeves back, I actually think, would be an important deal there. So we will see if, indeed, that winds up being true. But 247 Sports' Travis Branham did report it all of 20 minutes ago.
2: He's tied in at Kentucky. I, I would be shocked if he were wrong.
0: Yep. I'm um, right there with you. So, Kentucky fans, good little bit of news there. Uh, see if you want to fill out the rest of your roster throughout the uh, the remainder of this offseason. All right. And how about
1: John Calipari? How about John Calipari? Retaining a, a player? <laughs> To use, you know, kind of a, a boxing term, just bobbing and weaving yep. during the off season, the transfer portal, navigating these tough times. Got a couple three stars on the way. Antonio is back. Look at that. You have
0: squeezed out that sponge, by the way. And I I'm appreciate out. Out. everyone doing that. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. Leave a comment, I like quit. the video. Adam and I will be in on on set Thursday night. CBS Sports HQ draft. Wear a
2: tie for you.
0: You better wear a tie. I'm rocking no. a tie. I always rock a tie. KB, you're doing some hits from home. Our lead draft okay. expert. Also, I think this is what's going down. So, Adam's going to do the grades on HQ, but I think Kyle's doing the grades for the site. Am I right about that?
2: I, I, I think what it is is I, I'm like grading each pick and Kyle's grading each team, I think. Okay. All right, something.
0: Listen, we're going to, if you're looking for grades.
2: Yeah, we, we got, got a lot him, of grades.
0: We got them covered across the board there. And, uh, And you will enjoy. I I highly suggest a second screen, primary screen, bring up the HQ show. We don't mess around, and uh, we have a really good time and, and a lot of fun, informative information, which you also got on this podcast. So thank you for listening. GP will be back on the show very, very soon. For Kyle Boone, Adam Finkelstein, I'm Matt Norlander. We'll see you on draft night, and we'll talk to you real soon.